Craig Monroe is a captain in the Houston Fire Department. Craig, you, you want to tell us what happened on your day off? Yeah, so my wife and I were on our way home, and um, she smelled some something burning but couldn't quite figure out what it was. And then uh, right up ahead of us, we saw flames coming from the back of a 18-wheeler, and um, he pulled over on the side of the road, and we pulled uh, just in front of him and uh, ran back to, to see what I could do to help. And he had had this little tiny extinguisher, and uh, he was spraying it from the outside of the um, the tire, but what was burning was the inside tire and the brakes. And so right. uh, I took the extinguisher from him and crawled underneath the, the truck and sprayed it on the brakes, and fire went out for two seconds. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so, then, so then what happened? Uh, and so when the flames started coming back up, the tire exploded, which was a little disconcerting. Yeah. And, um, and then uh, I was asking him, what's in the back of the truck? Because I was thinking, hey, this whole trailer is about to burn up because there's nothing left to put it out in the the closest fire department was miles and miles away. And so he said, beer, it's all full of beer. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, I don't know. It's liquid. Let's give it a shot. And so he, um, I, I told him to, to unload it and start throwing cans underneath the truck to me. And so he grabbed a couple of cases and started just shaking them up and throwing them. And at, at first I would pop open the top with a, you know, the regular way. And then uh, later I figured out it worked better to, to stab them with a my knife and so i got a smaller opening and a little more uh, pressure and uh, the flames went out but it was still glowing red and we poured a few more on top to, to cool it down and and it saved the day so you're you're under the truck uh sh- i guess taking shaking up beer cans and stabbing them and and using that like a fire hose yes sir that's that's about the extent of it why is it like shotgunning beer kind of uh, yeah yeah <laughs> that's uh it's been equated to uh more than once especially <laughs> from a Firefighter buddies, who some of them are better at shotgunning beer than putting out fires. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got to ask, what kind of beer was it? It was Coors Banquet beer. Uh huh. And it, was that beer you think particularly good at putting out fires, better than some other beers? Hey, listen, for, for all the beers I've tried, it's the best. <laughs> <laughs> and specifically the Tall Boys, they seem to be great. I think I think the smaller cans wouldn't have been near as good, and bottles probably wouldn't have worked at all. But the Tall Boys work like a champ. I I mean, I imagine you've been in a lot of pretty sticky situations, and then you're. Was there a moment where you thought, I can't believe I'm doing this, I'm putting out a fire with cans of beer? Yeah, well, yes, uh, it was, but at the same time, uh, my fire station is Station 41 in Houston, which is right next to this huge Budweiser brewery, and, and we've joked for years if the you know, the wood aging or whatever catches on fire, we're just going to tap into the big old kegs of beer there and use those, and so we, we've kind of made that joke about putting out fire with beer for a long time, just the absurdity of actually doing it and off-duty and with cores was made the story even more funny to me. <laughs> Was there was there ever a point when you were under the truck that you were yelling at the truck driver, more beer, send me more beer? Yeah, pretty much the entire time. Really? <laughs> yeah. And considering the things you've gone through in your professional career, to think that you're in a tense situation and the thing you're yelling is, I need more beer. <laughs> yeah. Usually it's only uh, frat boys yelling that. But <laughs> <laughs> how, many, uh, how many cans of beer did it take? Uh, it was about half a case. I don't know, somewhere about 20, I'd guess. So you, so you had a few left over. Did you celebrate? <laughs> well, I'm not going to comment on that on air. My mom might be listening. All right. Fair enough. This is How to Do Everything. I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. On today's show, we'll teach you how to play sick. And uh, how to keep from getting tongue-tied. 
But first, Alex Rodriguez, A-Rod. Al Rodriguez. A-Rod has been suspended from Major League Baseball for an entire season. That's 162 games. Now, uh, he can't play for the Yankees, but we figure he could, if he still wanted to play ball, he, he could play in you know a local softball league. And what would that mean? What would that look like to have a super talented all-star, a guy like A-Rod? How would he do against average human beings? Keith Law is a minor league scout for ESPN. The way the uniform player contract is worded, he is prohibited from playing baseball from, for anybody other than the team that signed him to the contract, so the Yankees in this case. If he were to try to go play in an independent league, <laughs> he would actually void his contract. The Yankees could then uh, say he violated his contract and they would be off the hook for the remaining $50 million, which I have a feeling they would probably be happy to do. Yeah. If he were to play in some beer league on the weekends... Would it void his contract? I think probably. I certainly think the Yankees would pursue it. Well, but let's okay. So let's put that aside, though. Like, let's mm-hmm. say we put that aside for the time being, and it and Arod is allowed to to compete in some mm-hmm. sort of baseball related sport. So let's say like he is in an office league softball mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> uh, game. Taking his numbers, his career numbers, how would he perform at that level? You think? You know, I think if, if he's healthy and you put him in a league of, of amateurs, essentially, he's not going to swing and miss. That's what's going to happen. He's going to make, he's going to hit everything, make lots of contact. So, you know, obviously in any situation, even in the big leagues, the guy squares it up and it can still be hit directly at somebody. So it's not that A-Rod will, will never make an out, but my guess is if you had him play, you know, 20 games in your office rec league, he might never swing and miss in the entire time and hit you know, seven or eight hundred, something that you would never see <laughs> in any professional environment. There's this Kurt Vonnegut story, uh, uh, Harrison Bergeron. Oh, of course. I you, love you know Vonnegut. It? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so the for people that don't know, the idea is basically there's a society that they want everyone to be equal. And so if you're good looking, you have to wear a prosthetic that makes you uglier. If you can jump real high, you have to wear weights that weigh you down. Um, if you wanted to bring in A-Rod at the top of his game into you know, a local beer league, and you have any number of ways to, to handicap him, bring, bring him back down to normal, make it fair, what, we, what would you do to him? Can you make him wear the centaur costume? <laughs> what, what, do you, what is the centaur costume? Oh, he has this, it's actually a drawing, right, in his bedroom of a centaur with A-Rod as the human half. <laughs> is, oh, that, yeah. is that confirmed, or is that just a rumor? I, I think it's confirmed. I haven't been in his bedroom, so, you know, there's a limit to how much I can confirm this, but this is... This is certainly passed into legend, uh, <laughs> the extensive legend of A-Rod. But to answer your question, for any hitter, again, I'd weight his wrists. If you want to slow down a hitter, uh, and this isn't just for hitting for average, it's hitting for power. So much power, real traditional power, comes from that speed and the lower half, the ability to rotate the hips, get the swing we talk about, linear swings versus rotational swings. Rotational swings, that's where you get real power from. And it comes from those two places. If you just put some kind of cuff on any hitter to slow down his wrists, you are, it's cutting off Samson's hair. What do you think will happen to the local uh, community of supermodels in your beer league when you have a player like A-Rod on the team? Uh, where do you live that you have this local community of supermodels? Well, it's all relative. I'm, I'm all relatively speaking. Yes. Although they're all taller than I am, so it's probably a pipe dream anyway. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I imagine you'd find a few of them at the games. Maybe he'd get one of them to feed him popcorn on the bench between the innings. Is that what he does? That was Cameron Diaz, right? Feeding him popcorn during no. a oh yeah during a football game, Cowboys game. 
think it was. Wow. They didn't yeah. want to wear out his wrists, I guess. This is true. Yeah. Yes. It was a touch awkward. All right, Keith. Thanks for uh, playing this out for us. Oh, yeah. My pleasure. Hey, Adam. What can we help you with? My question is how to call in sick to work, and I guess more specifically when one might not, in fact, be sick. When you want to play hooky. Right. Have you uh, have you tried before? Um. Yeah, I always wrestle with all the different options. So say, like, do I want to actually catch the person live? Do I want to sort of chicken out and get the voicemail? It's sort of the struggle of do you put on, you know, a phony I'm so sick voice, or do you want to be curt and just get out of there and say I'm sick and be gone? Why don't you try just fake calling in sick as if you were pretending to be sick? You know, I'm feeling really like I got sort of a stomach thing going on. I don't think I'd be able to make it in today. Yeah. Yeah, I would I would have believed that. Well, okay. I think you said stomach thing. So it's not like you're congested, right? So you right. don't you don't have to do too much to your voice to to convey a stomach a stomach bug. Right. Yeah, Mike raises a good point. Let's uh just for, you know, if there's a cold going around the office, let's uh let's try faking a cold too, see how that sounds. Yeah, hey, I I've really uh, I think I got caught a cold. It's going around. Uh, I'm not sure if we'll make it in today. That was Sorry. good. <laughs> were, you, were you squeezing your nose there? Yeah, I was. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we have somebody who can help out, Adam. Elise Sporline joins us now. So, Elise, why don't we start by having you explain why you're qualified to help Adam? Um, well, I am a standardized patient or specialized patient. Um, I essentially work with medical students and work on specific cases to help them throughout their medical years. So I essentially research the cases and pretty much create these characters with certain diseases or... um, What do you mean you create? So you research the cases and then what what are you doing with the med students? um, I actually go into these rooms that look exactly like um, any normal doctor's office. And they come in, and I pretty much act out as said patient while they try to diagnose me. So it's just, so basically, you're, it's like you're a character in a play, only instead of, you know, say, playing the lead in a streetcar you know, named Desired, you're playing the lead in someone who has whooping cough. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> so do you have a backstory and everything? Yes, we get, we get everything. We get, you know, things like marital status, um, what my grandmother died of so so what are some of the uh diseases you've pretended to have i'm not allowed to say any specific diseases um but it's anything from like heart problems to um massive headaches to psychotic items sometimes (laughs) well can, can you tell us some symptoms that that you've had to have um the craziest one i've ever had is i was seeing demons so how did you do like let's say uh let, let's, I, I guess, act it out. So I come in and you give your opening statement. And then how do you, what are you doing to show that you're seeing demons? For that specific case, I was very agitated. And so I was just, it was, it was a very intense one. I was constantly moving for 15 minutes, um, all up and down in my chair. And I, um, I essentially just blurted out like, yeah, I'm seeing demons. And they're <laughs> after me. <laughs> wow. Have you ever had a moment where uh, people have broken character, like maybe you've gone too far in one direction with your sickness or your symptoms? Um, 
I I haven't though. Um, some SPs have been told by med students afterwards, like that was really good. <laughs> really? <laughs> or something? Yes. Um, one of the med students who saw me do the demon thing, I walked out of the room at like the end of the day because we'll do a bunch um, throughout the day, and they saw me, and you could just tell there was this like slight moment of like, oh god, it's them, and then it was like, <laughs> oh wait, no, wait, you're a person. <laughs> So, so uh, you heard Adam's call. So, mm-hmm. what what would be your first piece of advice for him? One of the things that I would do would definitely look up what you're apparently sick of. Uh huh. So then you can name said symptoms. Okay. Which would be which would be even better because then you have the ammo and the backup of them saying like, well, I don't really feel like you are, and then you're like, yeah, well, like this hurts, and it's like, oh, yeah, well, that does sort of happen when that happens. Okay, so maybe he's actually doing that. And even having past, if say like lie and say that one of your aunts or uncles has the same thing, yeah, and then it's led to this. So that's also a good backup plan. Can we hear what that would sound like? Like, like let's say you're calling in <laughs> to us that yeah, you have the stomach flu. From from an expert, what does that call sound like? Um, right. Let me think. It would probably my voice would probably be a little bit more hoarse. <clears throat> Because I've been um, I've been throwing up a little bit, and um, yeah, I just might. Sorry, I can't even think straight. Um, because I haven't been able to eat and like, <coughs> I don't know, like, twelve hours. It'd probably be something long like that. That was pretty good. <laughs> I actually thought I thought you would become ill. Yeah, <laughs> become ill in that moment. Okay, now what if you wanted to call in uh, sick and get out of work because you were seeing demons? What would that call sound like? I think it would probably... Oh, gosh, do you want me to act it out? Yeah, absolutely. Sure. <laughs> um, hey, um, so I can't really come into work today because... I, sorry, I thought I saw something. Um, yeah, I really can't concentrate today. I'm just, uh, just a little all over the place. <laughs> Um, I, sorry, I thought I saw something again. Um, yeah, I just, I, I can't, I, I have to work on, um, a few things from home. Sorry, bye. That, I, <laughs> honestly, I swear I have goosebumps right now. <laughs> and you, you, you decided not to come out with the demons. You just, uh, sort of left, left it to the imagination. Yeah. I think that keeps it, it keeps it a little bit more eerie. Well, exactly. I think that's the key is like is to make it so that they don't want you to come into work. <laughs> exactly. If you freak them out, they're like, "Yeah, stay, uh, stay home." Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> well, Elise, thank you so much, and uh, hopefully Adam can can take this and use it to to get out of work. I hope he does. Pad kid pulled pad. Pad, kid, poured, curd, pulled, cod. Those words that I just said are being called the world's toughest tongue twister. It was created by a team of psychologists at MIT. Online with us now to talk about it, a member of that team, Stephanie Shattuck Huffnagel. I would like to start by making sure that you and your listeners understand that this is not about the most difficult tongue twister in the world at all. Okay. We designed this particular tongue twister for a specific purpose. It turns out that there are quite a few factors that influence whether a string of words is hard to say or not. Number one, what are the particular sounds that are involved? 
So you probably remember she sells seashells sure, and yeah. rubber baby buggy bumpers and all those wonderful twisters. Many cases, they are built on pairs of sounds which are very easy to mix up. Mm-hmm. This brings me to the second factor that we find makes things hard to say. What pattern are they alternating in? Now let's get to pad, kid, poured, curd, pulled, cod. Have you been practicing this? Oh, yeah. Have you, okay. been, have you been practicing it? <laughs> so we came up with this example because we wanted to compare it to an earlier example, and that earlier example went like this. Pod, cod, pod, cod, pod, cod. So we wondered what would happen if the rhymes of the words were not all the same. So we have ad, id, ord, erd, old, odd as our rhymes. Ah. But it turned out that for many of our participants, this particular one was so hard to say that we actually couldn't get enough data from them. (laughs) They would start to say it, and then their mouths would kind of freeze up. So is it safe to say that this tongue twister, pad, killed, pulled, pur, cur, whatever it is, yes. curd, pulled, cod, that and the other difficult uh, tongue twisters that you designed, that they were so challenging for the subjects that were they then useless for your research? Well, they were useless for the purpose of determining which types of errors occurred, because, right. of course, if nothing is being spoken, then we can't analyze the errors. So now we have a second research question, which is, why are some sequences so hard that some speakers, when they try to say them fast enough, simply can't get their mouths to move? Yeah. Did that happen to you? We definitely had that happen, and, and we actually took this to a class of third graders. Good for you. What and- happened? Well, uh, they were actually surprisingly agile. Who wants to be the first one to try it? Olivia, pad, kid, poured, curl, pad, kid, poured, curd, pulled, cut. All right. What do you think that means? Hmm. I don't know. I don't know either. Okay, so here's the thing, you guys. So this tongue twister, they had people say this ten times as fast as they could. I don't think anybody could do it. Nobody did it. Nobody could do it. Anybody want to try and say this 10 times fast? Miles, why don't you come up here and try it? Pad kid poured curd pulled cod. 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 I think that's 10. It was like 20. <laughs> it was a bunch. Now, Stephanie, uh, what you heard there, those were students from uh, Miss Knox's third grade class at the South Loop School here in Chicago. They did have one question for you. Uh, what is a pad kid? <laughs> Nobody wanted to know what a poured curd was? I think they made some assumptions. <laughs> Well, I think what's going on here is that almost all of us, when we hear a string of words, we try desperately to figure out what it might mean. Yeah. And in this case, it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> and that that's right? a little hard for our brains to accept. All right, Stephanie, let's hear your best shot. I'm going to do it with prosody. Okay, let's do it. Pad kid, poured curd, pulled cod. Pad kid, poured curd, pulled cod. Pad kid, poured curd, po- Nope. Oh. There it goes. <laughs> You got through almost three. <laughs> <laughs> no prize for me. Can I say I, uh, I, I never get nervous about this, but for this interview, I'm, <laughs> I'm really careful about tripping over my words. 
Do not worry. I've heard it all. Okay. Well, do you do you have like a would you score us then? Is that what you would do? Like, okay, he's about a six <laughs> in fluidity. No, what you have to understand is that when people make errors when they talk, it's my meat and drink. So I okay. love it. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't know if I want to be your meat and drink. <laughs> you are now. Oh, man. <laughs> Are we, we heard from Clayton Baker. Uh, Clayton listens while making chainmail armor. Clayton, these next 15 seconds are for you. Lady, I'm your knight. You have to be pretty worried about uh, the potential of sword play in your day to, to make chainmail armor. Because it's not comfortable. No. It breathes, but uh, it, it also chafes. So the threat must be real. Yeah. I mean, these days, the likelihood of sword play isn't as high as it once was. Better safe than sorry, Clayton. There's so many ways I want to say. That does it for this week's show. What we learned today, Mike? I wonder if Elise, when she goes to her own doctor and mm-hmm. the doctor starts asking her questions about symptoms, if, she's ever gets, if she ever gets nervous, like, wait a minute. I remember these questions. Yeah. Yeah, you can know too much. Exactly. It's a weird casting call, mm-hmm. I think. It's nice, though, if you go in there and it's like you and Clooney, and they pick you because you're just drenched with sweat, and you, you're just wheezing. Yeah. Yeah, that, that wastrel is the one we want. Sorry, Clooney. You're going to have to go do Ocean's 14. How to Do Everything is produced by Stephen Toby Tobias with technical direction from Lorna White and Robert Newhouse this week. Our intern this week is Seth Kelly. That's a real person. Justin Witte is our artist and illustrator. Send us your questions at howto at npr.org. Our website is howtodoeverything.org. I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. Thanks. Thanks.